we have never met before today and I've thought about you a lot. (laughs) Thank you. When it came time for Lord to interview David Byrne in August, she was ready. She arrived at a Brooklyn studio with a long list of questions. I don't even know where to start, David. I just have so much to ask you. In some ways, though, she spent her whole life preparing for this interview. When she was growing up in New Zealand, the music Byrne made with Talking Heads opened her mind to all of the ways, some wonderful, some strange, that you could express yourself in a pop song. And of course, a few years later, Lord became an out-of-nowhere global star herself. So Byrne was excited to get to know Lord too. Like millions of other fans, his mind was blown when he first heard her music, and he'd been listening closely to her new album, Solar Power. Byrne biked over from his Manhattan home to the interview, and he'd been thinking some very deep, very David Byrne thoughts. Is this the real me, or am I putting on a performance? And if I'm putting on a performance, are you putting on a performance too? (laughs) And what if you put on my performance and I put on your performance? Welcome to Rolling Stone's Musicians on Musicians. I'm Christian Horde, music editor for Rolling Stone, and in this podcast, you'll hear artists in conversation with other artists. They ask the questions. Some they'd never been asked before. In this episode, Lord and David Byrne. Hey listeners, I want to take a second to let you know about Allstate's new lower rates. Just a little tip to help you save a lot of money. Better protection for a whole lot less. Go online or call 1-800-ALLSTATE for a quote today. Lord and David Byrne are the kind of artists who follow their own rules and let the world catch up. And they had a lot to talk about. When Lord released Solar Power this summer, it had been four years since her last album. She spent that time getting back in touch with nature, visiting Antarctica, and generally staying off the celebrity radar. Byrne had been busy reopening American Utopia, the hit Broadway show based on his music, after it went dark during the pandemic. Dressed stylishly in all black, the pair hit it off in their interview, moderated by Simon Vazek Levinson. They talked about everything from those moments when you want to run off stage and hide from the world, to offering more insights about social media and food. Okay, here's something I want to know that's really for my own personal enjoyment to satisfy my curiosity. The first time I was really made aware of your work was by my mother, mm-hmm. um, I, it might have been a reaction to something that I was watching or listening that was maybe not so good. And she said, I just, I got to show you something proper. And she, <laughs> and she pulled up a performance that you did on top of the pops of Take Me to the River. And I had never seen anything like it in my life. I completely understood everything you were doing and what I like most about your work, the mixture of clarity and mystery. But the thing that, as I watched it over and over, which I then did, and this is such a niche question, I apologize. You don't blink for like a minute. (laughs) And I've always wanted to know, was that showmanship? Yes, not human. Look, <laughs> yeah. no, no blinking. Well, it like not works. Human. It's the most. It was the most amazing thing I'm I'd ever seen. I'm not aware of that, but I, I think at that point I must have been fairly nervous and terrified that going on a <laughs> show like that. I would imagine my movements were probably a little it was twitchy, so cool. but 
I got to, so that that's me, that's what I do. Absolutely. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Well, it worked on me. I was very <laughs> taken by it. I remember as a teenager, I was friends with a lot of kids who I guess would go on to go to art school mm -hmm. and they liked what they liked and they wanted me to like it. And some of it I would not be able to understand. <laughs> and I realized later that that wasn't really my failing or anyone's failing, but it's to do with how clarity and mystery are being mm -hmm. used and when to deploy and when there maybe needs to be a sprinkle more of one or the other. This was music that they were? Yeah, trying? I guess so. This is not yeah. drawings or paintings. No, that they were it's showing. really this only is, music where I've they're called, we're fan, I'm a fan of this and you need to know about this. Yeah, and I would just try so hard and it would break my brain. But then, like, obviously, I saw your work and was like, oh, this has that mystery that I love and that clarity that I need, you mm. know. Um, and I wanted to know, like, do you lean towards one or the other? Do you know when it's right to go to one or? Just sort I, of yeah, I think I default to more ambiguous kind of abstract lyrics that are more generalizations. Mm. I realized I love a song that's all questions. I don't write too many of them, but I have <laughs> collections of possible lyrics. Wow. Things that I've read in a book or somewhere else. I love a question in a song. Yeah, I read one the other day that said something like, is this the real me or am I putting on a performance? And if I'm putting on a performance, are you putting on a performance too? <laughs> and what if you put on my performance and I put on your performance? And I went on like <laughs> this, a series of questions that kind of went down That's a rabbit amazing. hole. That's <laughs> amazing. That's cool, I like that. But I'm jealous of songwriters who can really put specific things in a song. Like this one from your new album, you mentioned the Laurel Canyon Country Store. It's so specific. <laughs> The place, the culture around there, because I lived there in the mid 80s. So it, it paints a whole picture. It's very difficult for me. Really? I, tend, I tend to write in generalities. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Joni is the master of it. Oh, geez, yeah. She's, uh, that's like another level. I, I use specificity a lot because I like treating my work like a scrapbook or a map or something where I'm like, okay, I've, I've pinned that butterfly to that board, and that's for me. But yeah, I feel like I'm sort of trying to do more what you do at the moment, be more general. Mm. It's a real skill. Was that a song about saying goodbye to that place? Yeah, yeah and yeah. just sort of... And that life. Mm, wasn't really okay. for me, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was my first sort of stop off coming to America. Mm -hmm. I sort of got like swallowed into that for a bit and then was like, oh, no, no, no. Very exciting. I remember <laughs> I... Uh, for myself, yes, there were times I would get swallowed up, but there were times also where you, out there, you get up in the morning and you step outside, sun is shining. Yeah. You go, this is yeah. not bad. But then there's other things that are not so easy to deal with. Yeah, I found. Are you an introvert? Are you, like, do you have to go and have a rest after a day like this or are you charged up? I'm, not as introverted as I used to be. Wow, um, interesting. I think as you might have seen, I say hi to a lot of people. Yes. In fact, some of my friends said, could you just not say hi to everybody? <laughs> they don't know you. No, it's they great don't. to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> Having maybe grown out of it a little bit, I've maybe overcompensated. <laughs> <laughs> I love having conversations with, say, a person in the checkout in the grocery store or something like that. 
If I can say something funny and make them laugh, then I feel like I've done a good thing today. Yes. That said, some of the introversion stuff stays with me. I don't know about you. I have no problem spending time alone, mm. in other words, with myself. <laughs> I will, yes, have conversations with myself sometimes, <laughs> and they're not crazy conversations. They're just kind of mundane things, like don't put that there. And allowed? Like Sometimes an allowed. <laughs> There's no one there but me. <laughs> I mean, I think of you as someone who's very plugged in to sort of the greater culture. Mm. And I wanted to know if you feel beholden oh. to it or... Ah, ah, okay. <laughs> Might be too personal. No, it's not personal <laughs> at all. When social media sort of emerged, I thought, I think I have enough to do mm. <laughs> rather than feeding this. Mm. I was more about concern about my workload yeah. than concern about other effects it might have, yeah. which... The workload is a very real concern. But it, yeah, something I just kind of... That was a good Suddenly, way. I've got another job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got to feed this beast. Okay. Uh, and I realized, no, I didn't want to do that. Uh, so I'm not on social media, but that said, I get up every morning and I have my grapefruit and my coffee, and I read at least two newspapers mm -hmm. online. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, a, for that time, for that hour, kind of a news junkie, mm. which I eventually realized this is not making me well. This is- The news. Yeah, the news yeah, is yeah. not making me well. Yeah. I need an antidote, an right. antidote to this. So what was your this antidote is, to all the news? Uh, I started doing it myself and I started working with friends on this journalism project called Reasons to be Cheerful. And we looked for instances, news of people finding solutions mm -hmm. to problems as opposed to the problems themselves, mm -hmm. which are certainly out there. But we hear about those all the time. Mm. So that, and I realized, I hear, let's say, about music. I hear about it a little bit from publications, but also a lot from friends. Yeah. A lot of times friends will send me, oh, have you heard this? And that'll lead me to something else, to something else, and next thing you know, I've added a whole lot of things to my playlist, which <laughs> yeah. is great. That sounds like a very healthy way of yeah, being so far, with it all. So far, it's kind of manageable. I like the grapefruit too. That's a nice, <laughs> a nice way to start the morning. It's, again, yes. <laughs> Do you have the little spoon with the pointy edge? Okay, edge? we're getting very personal here. <laughs> I just peel it with my hands. Whoa, then, that's crazy, then, David. Then, then rip it. First thing in, in the morning, you're peeling a grapefruit? With my hands and then rip it you're in half. You're segmenting? Rip it in half? Yeah, then I rip it, yeah, take the skin off, then rip it in half, and then I'll <laughs> only eat half of it. And I have, always have like a napkin or towel because it's just some bits drip. Can you just, I've never peeled a grapefruit, that's wild. Not that hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you heard it in your first, people. Scoop from today. We'll hear more from Lord and David Byrne after a quick break. Stay with us. Hey, listeners, I just wanted to take a second to let you know about Allstate's new lower rates. Just a little tip to help you save a lot of money. Better protection for a whole lot less. Go online or call 1-800-ALLSTATE for a quote today. Welcome back. 
This is Rolling Stones, Musicians on Musicians. We've been listening to Lord speaking with David Byrne, who shared how he felt the first time he heard her music. One of the things that struck me where I was listening to it, thinking how minimal it was. There was a lot going on in, in the vocal area with harmonies and all kinds of stuff. But musically, I thought, this is really stripped down. <laughs> this is just what you need as far as the beats and keyboards and things that were there and no more, <laughs> which completely knocked me out. I thought, wow, I can learn from that. That's very nice of you. I <laughs> Did you get any pushback in the beginning where saying, oh no, you got to add this and that and the other yeah. to this production? So I released Royals on my mm -hmm. SoundCloud just for free mm -hmm. as part of an EP and sort of quickly got heard by a record company. And they were like, well, you know, for the real version, like you might need to put a bit more into it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> this is the real version. <laughs> I think they thought like, great demo, now we'll Fill it full of exactly. stuff. Exactly, yes. So you felt <laughs> right away you had a sense of this is what this wants to be, not this. Yeah. I mean, there's that Ira Glass quote that I've always really liked where he talks about being young and making stuff. You have taste, but you don't have skill. And so mm -hmm. you make things and you know they're not right, but your taste is intact and that will, you know, get you there eventually. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you know, I would sort of bash through and try and make stuff. I can't really like play anything. I'm not a very good musician, mm -hmm. but I always had like my ear. You're so good with like what I think of as a pop melody. Mm, thank you. Has that been something that's been easy to access for you as a songwriter? Oh. Primary oh. colored sort of. I had no, no, let's say fear of a, a pop melody mm -hmm. or being accessible. I thought it was always fine. I don't know if I, I don't think in the beginning I was able to do it. I think. I think you were. Well, <laughs> thank you. I listened to earlier things and I feel like I sound like, I sound like a little bit desperate trying to get across, which you maybe know. is a good thing too. I remember buying these songbooks from different artists, mm -hmm. songwriters, just kind of learning the songs. Sometimes things I didn't re even really care for that much, but I thought, Let's see how this is done. Mm. Learn to play this on the guitar and sing along just for myself. And I think through that, I would learn, oh, look, you can go from this chord to that chord and it'll take the melody somewhere there, which is has this kind of emotional lift to it right there. Oh, I should remember that, remember <laughs> that. And you <laughs> have to be careful that it doesn't become a thing that you keep going back to. David's chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds like one of yours. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I feel like I've learned that a little bit. The same I'm, part of you that says hello to people. Yes, maybe the same part. I've learned that, at least in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with a song sounding beautiful. Then the melody or in the way it's sung or whatever can sound quite beautiful and seductive on the surface. And yet you can actually say something quite profound that conveys a really radical idea and then it sucks you into something where it might really change your way of thinking. That's interesting. So you were sort of, there was a time when you were not wanting things to sound beautiful. That was something you yes, were Yes, there was a time where I thought things have to be edgy and right. whatever, which is, that's all good, that's all good. Yeah. But I was maybe afraid that if things sounded too beautiful or pretty, mm. then they were uh, shallow. 
Yeah, that's interesting. It's necessary. It was probably, oh, this is shallow. This is like a greeting card. This is right, right. whatever. <laughs> and uh, you, you can't be saying anything serious this way. But then I, I heard other songwriters doing that where I thought, okay, it can be done. Yeah. I think of beauty as a real, like, tenet of your work, for sure. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Here's, well, I don't know the full title of the song, but Hundreds of Gowns was mentioned. Oh, The Man with the Axe. The Man with the Axe. I, so I, what, I, what about these Hundreds of Gowns? <laughs> in the song a, or in my in, closet? It's in there mentioned in the song <laughs> yeah, yeah. as being in your closet. Yeah. Well, I think, like, for me, because I, you know, was one of four children and had a lot of things that my sister had worn mm-hmm. and not a lot of my own things and oh, so you'll want your not own, much man. pocket money, you know, and mm-hmm. then like I'm when you get 16 your own, and I've got a credit uh, card. I'm, hello, got, hello. I can get these things. Yeah, and I, I sort of, in that song, I'm sort of like, you know, this is what I have. I have this and I have this. And the next thing that I say is a throat that fills with panic every festival day because I get really bad stage fright. So I'm like, well, I got all these gowns and I got this, you know, panic problem, <laughs> sort of the sum of the parts of being a pop star, you know? What, um, what do you do for stage fright? I really don't have a good answer for that, and it's a real problem that I'm trying to get on uh-huh. top of. I take little notes to the stage for myself. Ah. So I'll go over to an area and be able to read something that me from the past is trying to tell me from the future. <laughs> right, right. But... um. I do think this album is a little bit more calm and maybe that will help. The last one was really like mm-hmm. in a tizzy, you know, so I think maybe the content will kind of help me feel a bit more chilled out. I wanted to know if you have any sort of like little things that you do before you perform or any ways of kind of snapping into that mode mm. at all. I don't have much of a ritual. That mm. kind of thing, I keep myself busy. Mm. I make some ginger tea. I'll, you know, peel the ginger, yeah. slice it, <laughs> put it into a thermos, put boiling water in with there's some lemon or whatever else. And that'll keep me busy for a good 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> and then I've got to let that got steep it. and cook. And yeah. do, I'll do things like You've that. You've done some fiddling. And- keep my mind a little bit away from what I'm about to do mm. until, you know, you'll get a call. Okay, uh, five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of puzzles on tour. I'm often like mm-hmm. applying a piece right when it's time to go, <laughs> which maybe doesn't help mm-hmm. the stage fright. Like the, that's a, too much of a change of mode. You know, I'm like still looking for the puzzle <laughs> at the first song. But it's just something that, yeah, that lives in my body that I need to figure out how to, Exercise. Does it help if you have things more or less mapped out? Um, no, that does not like, help. Nothing really. It's I. It's like a total mystery to me what it really is or where it comes from. But ever since I was a kid, I would do you know speech competitions and school plays. And right. It would bubble up, you know. So you were terrified, but yet you would do these things. Yeah, like I knew I had to. Uh, yeah, I felt that. Do it. <laughs> when I was younger, yes, I felt very socially un- uncomfortable. Mm. And yet, as you say, I would throw myself on a stage and mm. do a speech mm. <laughs> of some sort, or I would perform something crazy and then retreat back into myself. Yeah, but now you can 
there's no no sizzle before you go on stage. No, little. there is a, a little bit, but not the same. Okay, you're not like someone get me. Like maybe I could get out that door and run down the street. You get away from here. <laughs> get away from here, because <laughs> that does come to me occasionally. I'm like, maybe the car could just go around the block for four hours and then the, I'd miss the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always glad I did that. Yeah. It's very precious. But it's tricky. I want to know what your favorite non-music thing that you get to do is, and are any of them preferred to making music? No, nothing surpassed it, but I find that over the years I do different things. During the pandemic, I started doing drawings, which might have been a kind of therapy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably like a lot of people, I spent a lot of time cooking during the yes, pandemic. Yes, that was another question I wanted to A lot to of time cooking. Um, Are you really into food, cooking? I'm you not like... super fussy, but I really enjoy cooking. I think it's underappreciated as a kind of creative art form. I completely agree. I, I realized that once you learn from a recipe, let's say, how to make something, you can sort of then start to improvise. You can learn to substitute one say one sour thing for another sour thing. Mm. And that kind of changes it a little bit, but it keeps the mm. balance of what's going on there. And you can kind of, well, it's kind of like music that way. Mm. You know that, okay, you need something here, but what is it? Try this. That's nice. I like that. It's a good way of putting it. It's and a creative kind outcome. of like music, you, maybe not so much during the pandemic when I ended up with a lot of frozen leftovers, <laughs> but other times then you get to offer it to, Yes. friends and yeah. say, what do you think of this? What about this? Yeah, it's real alchemy in that way, the, like sharing. I feel it like almost more with food than with music, mm. like the effect of what I've made on people, you know. I guess you're like... They react right, right away, yes. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> okay, this is another question that might be, I don't know, obvious or not good, but I want to know it. Is there anything that, looking back, you would be like, if I could impart that wisdom, I would, to someone else? That, that's a really tough one. Because I, sometimes I might think that I have some wisdom that I should impart to somebody else and goes, <laughs> you need to know this or whatever. But I also feel like, who are you to be telling other people? <laughs> I, so I often pull back and kind of feel like, better that they discovered by either seeing what you're doing mm. for themselves but then rather than you telling them yeah that's fair which is a can be a bit of a school teacher thing yeah I want to try and avoid that <laughs> okay good to know <laughs> good to know you'll find a version of this conversation and many others in the November issue of Rolling Stone on newsstands right now Musicians on Musicians is produced by Jasmine Morris and me. Executive producers are Gus Wenner, Jason Fine, Simon Vazek Levinson, Brian Shaka, and myself. Interview and scripting help by Simon Vazek Levinson. Our senior producer is Jasmine Morris. Mixing by Jarrett Floyd. Bridget Shelsey is our production manager. Fact checking by John Bernstein. Dan Halperin is executive producer for Rolling Stone Video, and Kimberly Aaliyah is co executive producer. For Rolling Stone, I'm Christian Hort. On our next episode, Willow and Travis Barker 